I just got asked a question by David. Yeah. Very helpful. Um, it's, the, it's a delegation question. <coughs> that is, when you're dealing with volunteers or staff, what well, doesn't matter. Anymore. Um, how, how much do you delegate to someone? How much did you give them complete freedom? You want, you want Tim, for instance, that last illustration. Tim's going to be in charge of this team called the, what do you call it, Good Vibes or Connecting Team Membership at this church that you just did a roster for. How much, how much control does he have over it? Is he just free to do whatever he likes with it? What budget's he got? Do you know what I mean? So, now that's a delegation level discussion. Right? Now, just a brief answer is uh, Ken Blanchard's work on what's called situational leadership, where he argues it, the, a leader has a different um, competencies depending upon the situation. So someone could be very good at, say, strategic planning, but no good at doing budgets. Or someone could be good at, I don't know, they're a great musician, but they're no good at uh, something else, I don't know, organisation, say. And so what you do together is you work out what 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 are the particular roles that fall under their, their job, what they're trying to do, and what's the delegation level they've got for that. And so what, what happens is you've got the, the, the beginning level when you've got someone coaching them, you're training someone, you direct them. You actually have to tell them pretty much everything they've got to do because they're not quite sure what happens. Then as they got better at something, you coach them at it, which is you're still kind of showing them how it works, but then you let them have a go. Increasingly, they're mainly do it. you're supporting them in it, they're mainly doing it, and you just give them some feedback. Then they're smashing it, which basically means they've got free reign to do it. <coughs> But what happens with someone is often, it's not as simple as that, it depends on the situation. So let's say Tim, let's say he's got, uh, he's awesome, under, as a, he's like a master chef, right? He just gets the food thing. So you just work out, he's all over that compared to you, so we delegate. So we just delegate that, that part of the job to him to oversee. But the problem with the master chef is his um, financial skills aren't quite so good. So he could blow the church's budget in one night of catering at church because it'll just be so good. But so at that level, you're going to say you're back at the coach level. That makes sense. And so, and if there's a dispute, he may say, "I oh, know, I think I'm at support." You say, "I think you're coach." The, the, the basically, let them take the higher level of delegation level, and then if they fail at that, then you move them back a notch. Okay, that makes sense. So that way. You're kind of working out how much of the rope, how much, how much they're able to do. So in this case, Tim would be required to um, maybe you, you draft up a budget. So at a support level, he drafts up the budget and he has to consult with you before anything happens. If it's the coach level, well, if it's the direct level, you're doing everything. If it's the coach level, you draft it up and he has some input with you. Once he's really good at that area, he controls budget and... Only gets in trouble if it goes out of control. That makes sense. But as you're leading others, you just need to be. That's very helpful. Look, um, I was keen to talk about leadership. Um, uh, when is a leader at their best? Now, when are they at the best? Well, you say, well, when they're leading. You actually can't get this wrong. So I just. Many people are a leader's leading at their best when they're leading with vision, when they're influencing others, when they're solving problems, when they're strategic planning. That's true, right? Or 
before. The other, the other answer to that question is when the leader leading at their best is when they're, they're virtuous. They're, they're evidencing the spiritual gifts of patient, kind, long-suffering, being gentle. Both true. What I want to say is actually um, a leader is actually at their best when they're making other leaders. Now, why is that so important? Because only leaders can make leaders. Okay? Administrators don't make leaders. Councillors don't make leaders. Managers don't make leaders. Leaders make leaders. And you will need to understand, I'm as a committee to the concept of disciple, making disciple, making disciples, but, I'm, but I am saying there is a particular guilt a gift set that lies within that a mature Christian person who's actually a leader. And I want us to rest with what is this thing called leadership and Christian leadership? Like, how does it look like? Right? Now, um, leaders are key because they lead. They inspire people to use their gifts for service. They build teams. They organise those teams. They get the right people in the right place in the team and maybe the wrong people in the wrong spot off that part of the team and into some other team. That's what leaders do. They call meetings, they solve problems, they work out solutions. And in fact, the growth rate of your church can't exceed the growth rate at which you can develop leaders. You, you need to own that reality. And so leaders are absolutely critical, they are the linchpins. Without them you can't expand a ministry or bolt on a new ministry. Because you can't put them in the Now I want to slow it up a bit here and we'll look at what is leadership and how it functions. Right? Here's a definition from uh, Dixon from Humilitas where he writes, the art of leadership is, is actually a description rather than definition. He says, it's the art of inspiring others in a team to contribute their best towards a goal. So it's an art. The first thing is it's not a science. That's why there's so many books on leadership. Um, because it's, it's, um, there's all sorts of different styles of leadership that depending on, depending on the different realm in which you're operating. It's flexible depending on the goals of the organisation and what needs to happen often caught up with different personalities. So just understand, it's, it's art. Right? It's, it's, it's about others. Fundamental leadership is about others. So great footballers, for instance, don't make great coaches. It's true in the world of sport as it is in academics. Um, um, so it's true the most talented individual may not be the most inspiring leader. For ultimately, this is from Professor Cotter at Harvard, for leadership is about aligning people motivating and inspiring them. His, um, the Real Power of Effective Leadership by Brigadier Wallace says, forever Australian, head of the Australian Special Forces says, is maximising other people's potential. Can you get that? It's maximising other people's potential. Here's Jim Collins, good to great. He records the puzzlement of his research team as he, at, as, um, at the consistency of his findings, where he wrote, he wrote this... We were surprised, shocked really, to discover the type of leadership required for turning a good company into a great one. Compared to the high-profile leaders with big personalities who make headlines and become celebrities, the good to great leaders seem to have come from Mars. Self-effacing, quiet, reserved, even shy, these leaders are, paradox are a paradoxical blend of personal humility and professional will. Now, I think that's that's really helpful to kind of get into your the whole classic way in which you often think about leadership. Because humility, essentially, is a willingness to hold power in the service of others. 
So it's art, it's about others, and, and lastly, it's about a goal. Leadership is actually, it's, to, it's oriented towards a clear goal, and there's something fundamentally aspirational and idealistic about leadership. Um, so you're constantly straining towards the greater realisation of, of the great outcome, right? whether it's financial or whatever, military, whatever. Um, that's why Cotter, basically, he, he says, leadership at its core is about coping with change, not change for the change's sake, but movements towards a, necessar- a goal necessarily involves change. Whereas managers cope with complexity, dealing with the week-by-week operation, leaders look to the months and years ahead and imagine, communicate, strategize what needs to take place. So leaders are future-oriented. So, um, so you need all sorts of ministry leaders um, if you're going to grow, fix, develop ministries. You need leaders. Um, now, just briefly, there's four tools of leadership. There's, uh, there's ability, authority, persuasion, and your example or character. And they're not all of the, at the heart of leadership, they're not all of equal importance. Okay? See, if you rely on your own ability and, on ability and authority, your positional authority, without persuasion, if you like an example, in the end up as a kind of tyranny, you know, the classic because I said so thing, and ultimately everyone will suspect your decision is about the leader and not the organisation, in this case the church. Um, if, of course, you're about persuasion without actually having the character of life example that matches that, then people sus- suspect, or um, you can't sustain people in the vision because they'll start to think you're all talk. Now, now, in actual fact, so the key thing what Dixon's drawing attention to is that the key ones is persuasion and character. And um, um, just, just briefly, that, that is the way the scriptures argue about leadership. That's, um, so, Paul, I could go to many verses, but let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, where he says... Um, uh, since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Okay? How's, how, what's his mode of operating? He seeks to persuade others. Um, but what we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. Um, which is off the back of what he said earlier, just in the early chapter um, of chapter 4. Um, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we renounce secret and shameful um, ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Um, And so what you see is this classic blend of the way the leader works is through persuasion, um, teaching the truth, but through the classic thing where their character matches that. Okay, There's no... Um, spin doctoring, no flattery. So they're the classic ways in which that, that works. Or, um, uh, you know, you could have Paul's uh, 1 4, where you read 4.11, command, command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture to preaching and teaching, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders lay their hands on you. 
Um, be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you'll save both yourselves and your hearers. Um, and on, you know what I mean? So, or we looked at Ephesians 4 earlier where the gifts is apostle, peach, apostle uh, uh, pastor teachers. But what's the gift? Is the gift they're teaching? No, it's the gift is the person themselves, the kind of person they are, which is what Paul takes up in 1 Thess 5. You know what kind of men we were as we came among you. And he goes on in 1 Thess to talk about like a mother we did this among you, like a father we did this among you. Okay? So it's about, it's about the person themselves and their character matched with persuasion. Right? So, because leadership is fundamentally relational. Um, now, the question is, how, since leaders are so critical, um, and every year if you're going to hold that ministry, keep it going, if you're going to build new ministries and you're going to need leaders, how are you going to make them? We, we deliberately use the word make them because you really have to kind of forge them out of nothing. What are you going to do? Well, brainstorm with me. What, 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 what could you do? Throw them in the deep end. Throw them in the deep end. That's exactly right. Actually, that's, that's actually not um, such a bad idea. It's a really good end. In fact, the argument is certain types of, that's exactly the best training. That's how they learn quick. It's good to see you who's already keen to be serving. Yep. In Exactly right. I mean, you watch them and you watch them when no one's looking. How do they treat the weak, the vulnerable, the, you know what I mean? As you say, you watch them, how they go in the group. Yeah, you, it, but see how you said, that was helpful. Um, you you, you want to have a culture where people are always looking for the next leader. They have leaders in training. <coughs> um, and I think that, that, that's that's the culture you, you kind of, you want to want to be going for. In some ways, perhaps encouraging people who might be potential leaders to be specifically watching their leaders um, to see how they do it, so that yes, um, so that it then doesn't feel so foreign if then they're asked then if they're asked to then step into the position themselves. Yes. Yes. Very good. Yeah. Um, but my my main point um, there, or what I think, is just the concept of being intentional. With, with, with seeking and seeking to make leaders. Right? Now, you probably see now, you can see our diagram in that other one. We had the classic recruit um, thing that's linked to our pathway coming in. Um, we obviously, as you know, wanted to recruit into something. We want to make sure we recruit people into really helpful things, so we created the ministry teams. We've spoken about the power of teams. Right? 
Um, uh, but but then here, what, I, what I've got here is I recognise I've got these um, team leaders. Uh, now, and then you've got uh, leaders of leaders. Now you see in my picture, I, I basically what, what we're trying to do is create a culture where, where it's pushing people in. I spoke earlier about if you have really healthy teams, it actually, um, <coughs> it's attractional. It kind of, it's a push-pull, it's what's called a push, we call it a push-pull system. We're recruiting, we're pushing people in the ministry teams. But these teams, hopefully so healthy, they actually are pulling people in. They're kind of sucking them into these teams because they want to be part of those teams. They're right. But then we want a culture where we, um, we are seeing people as they come getting mature, are, are seeing the importance of gospel work and are, are being raised up in responsibility levels. Right? And so then, in our system, now this is, I'm not saying this is the way to do it, I'm just saying this is how we intentionally do it, um, is we, these basically represent our different ends, right? Um, uh, mission. Right, and so we we, um, we actually want all of our M's to be because they're creating a culture where they're constantly looking for team leaders in all their teams, or maturity in their growth group areas are constantly looking for just like you said, uh, leaders in training, assistant leaders, and, and down the track. So what? But then what we did was we reverse engineered it. We said, look, we are going to need those leaders. How, what if we if we sow for leadership? In time, hopefully, we'll reap leaders. So what we did was we intentionally did uh, training at each of these levels. We do training at each of these levels here. So, for instance, our building leadership booklet you've got there, that is for our team leaders, so that they, hopefully, uh, become increasingly, over time, better and better team leaders. Just, and so they lead these ministry teams better. Does that, that make sense? Um, and that is exactly what happens. Over time, they upskill, get better with their convictions about why they do what they do, uh, refine their character, and, of, and competency grows too. Some of them, of course, in time will get actually recognise they can lead leaders. They can lead numbers of team leaders. And so what we reverse and we've got what we call high-level volunteers, um, where we have people... Um, who gives sort of 15, 20 hours a week, and we, we want those sorts of people who might leave work early, maybe they're high income people who can cut down a day or two a week of work. And we have a thing here which we call EV Generate, and we um, basically there's three aspects of that. There's a tutorial, fortnightly, uh, they're mentored by staff in Christian characters conviction, and they and they in, in senior leadership team meetings, team meetings, okay. Um, so this is our, sorry, this is building leadership. Uh, and then this is our MTS work, and this is staff, right? And we do training at these levels too, to try and essentially, if you sow, so as to get leaders, in time you reap leaders. That make sense? Now, alright, my... My hope, my hope is um, 
that you yeah you wrestle with like how many how many leaders are we short how are we going to keep creating leaders and and you work out what you do in your kind of context to see keep seeing that happen as you say first step may be you make sure in growth groups and ministry teams what you just, they have an assistant leader in leader and training, but, but in time you step them up. Um, because, as you're sure you know, it's November, and it, it, I presume your staff teams are thinking about you've got leaders resigning. People, who's going to lead those ministries next year? And it's usually too late if it's in late November and you haven't been at this for some years now because making leaders takes a long time. So Canberra is a pretty transient place. Yeah. I work in a university ministry, which is even more transient than Canberra, which is sort of already transient. Yeah. Have you got any tips for, for us? There's no one leaves the single investments in here. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there are... I, I, first thing to say is that's extra complex. I think that's right. Um, you know, so, for instance, there are, and there are differences. You need to understand the differences. So, for instance, university ministries typically gained by keeping MTSs around. They would have left the campus, but if you put them on an MTS, you get there around for an extra two years. A local church like us, MTS is very costly because our most gifted and talented leaders we send away from us. Dan's going to leave us. I mean, that's a huge loss to us, and we'll never see him again, you know, oh, unless we get anyway. Um, <laughs> um, but... So I think you're quite right. You do need to analyse uh, that sort of stuff. The advantage of the university is you've usually got quite a, a truck, a, a more talented pool to be dealing with as far as those people. And so I think you ought to be having a very intensive leadership training program, knowing you will face high attrition rates, but nevertheless, yeah, and to recognise, you know, a bit like we think of MTS, you are investing not just is in the wider kingdom work as those leaders go out to the churches. Hopefully, <coughs> they've been well trained under God, they'll bear fruit where they go to. So that doesn't solve the simple problems of running that ministry. But what I would do is, I, I, as I said, I, I do a reverse engineer everything. If you need, I don't know, five leaders next year and you know you lose half of them and you know back here, well then you need to say, all right, you might say, how are we training 20, year, 20 leaders now so that we've got five when it comes to this time next year and, and break it down like that. I, would, I literally would think into it like that. Um, and if the number's higher, we need, we need to expand our ministry. So our, our growth group ministry does exactly that. They know they need for next year, they need 16 new growth groups. They have volunteer leaders above that called community leaders. They need five of those, so they need 21. Just, that's just to deal with growth. Then the year after that, they, they, they projected growth, so they need, you know what I mean? So I'm in discussion as a ministry guy, and my ministry team similar, I'm in discussion with maturity head to, re, to try and think, okay, we, we might need this many leaders, how are we going to do it? Now, once you start thinking like that, it's scary at first, but then you start coming up with solutions to what you can do. And I do, I do, do that. Um, well, look, um, yeah, um, question? Question or have you got to the no, I, I, I'm kind of done. I'm just trying to think through whether to give you time to workshop it, to try and work out how you'd create leaders or what you want to do, or answer your questions. I'm happy.
Well, I'll ask the question you can determine whether it's been useful. Like, I, I think it, maybe it's similar to other churches, but we sort of find ourselves where we think, oh, we really would like to have had more leaders develop, but we can't. So what we'll do, we must make a decision to put people in leadership. Like I say, Bible study groups is, a, is an example. Because everyone wants to be in a group, but if you don't have enough leaders, do you have less groups, or do you have groups with too many numbers? Or yeah. do you actually put immature people in charge of groups? Yeah. Yeah. Well... Yeah, every church faces these problems. That's exactly right. So our, this is not the solution. Our, our owning that real problem is we have three levels of growth group leaders. Would they know this? Can you remember? Growth the growth group leaders? Certainly our maturity senior staff, that's the way they think of it. They, you have a, the, the first level leader is a facilitator. I can't spell. So they get given a pre-written Bible study. Yeah, that's right. And then you've got like a... Oh, what's the next life? I've got the words. Can you the words? How do they call them? Remember? Oh, leader in training? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, this is, a, oh, this is like a competent leader. And this is like the pastoral leader, you know, the one who can kind of do it all. Yeah. And, and so they, 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 then they go and create, you know, um, videos. Um, so Bible, written Bible studies... Um, and a video, say 10 minutes, that explains the key issues you're kind of dealing with to give them a leg up, right? So this person can, can facilitate an above, they can punch above their weight category as far as the growth group, right? So hopefully they do better. And they have a community leader who's above and volunteer who, who hopefully gets there and is given the feedback and training. They, they, I think they have, oh, it's at one to 10, might be less than that, I'm not a doctor, might be one to six growth groups of community leader. And what they do is they basically look at their, say, eight growth groups they're in charge of. The two guys that have got a great group, they don't worry about those. They just bring them every once in a while. You smash it, fantastic, awesome. Then there's, then there's the six. Two of them really need work. You know, then they really hone in on the ones that they spend a lot of time in trying to make that happen. And whereas to these people, our growth group guys say, look, don't do the cheat notes. We know you could just go and get the video and you, could, you have access to our website that's got this awesome video and a great Bible study. Don't you know? You spend the time in the text and keep doing what you've done for the last decade, which is individually parceling and discipling one-on-one what you're doing. And so they, they do that kind of stuff. And of course, occasionally, you know, the guys will use the Bible. So they'll look, just look over it and that kind of stuff. But my point there is they reverse engineer it again. Say, how do we deal with the fact that we, we have all these people? Do we turn them away and not put them in the growth group? Oh, we don't want to do that. So... Here's what we do it. And then we, we seek to step up these people in the leadership each time. So they then grow, go, go and create particular training for each level. For this purpose, so they do leader training, the system, so they have leaders even here, leader training course here, that are beginners to get them to this level. Then trying to get these guys to this level, guys and girls, this level to this level. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. So. It's a little overwhelming, but yeah. Oh, it's our, our level. You are the community facilitator. Dave Macker is the facilitator. He's got 10 Bible studies. He goes, the senior pastor goes, I've only got eight leaders. I need 10. I'm going to put two in. But every third week, I'm going to turn up to Ken's study just to see how he's going. Now, to the overwhelming question, yes. Now, that's sorry, the problem with this is that, yes, it looks like this is all like really neat, neat and everything at EV. I'm sorry, I did not mean to do that to you and I apologise now, it's not the case. In reality, we're held together by blue tack and sticky tape. Just like every other church. Okay? Do not trust me. It's, I, I see behind the scenes and there's so much blue tack 
It's scary, right? Really scary. Um, in fact, the head of the maturity team, I was just talking to him two, da- two days ago, um, where he said, ah, oh, overwhelmed was the word. He said, what's awesome is we've got a new tool. We've designed a Google Doc that looks at all our assistant leaders and their leaders in training. And who, it's fantastic. But you know what? It Stop shows us now. how many holes we've got. And that is just, oh, what are we going to do with that? But what's great to hear about that is you see, they're, they're, they're trying to wrestle with what they're going to do. And then that you're empowered to intentionally make choices and work out what you're going to do. So that's what I'm encouraging you to try and, try and do. Break, break it down. A little, is that, there's your big plan. You want to be there years? And break it into small steps. It's definitely helpful to consider the different levels of growth so you can think through this, stepping people yep. through. Because you can't really fast track leadership. No, no. So, so this, as I say, I've been this for five years, right? Now we, we're doing okay here, right? As I, as I think, I think oh, I started talking. We started talking years ago. The first ages we spent trying to get the recruiting thing happen. Trying teams, teams. We were rosters, right? That took us years. Then we started to get team leading stuff in us. That's getting me going. But we've been saying for years now, it's all about leadership. It's all about leadership. With all our staff. Five years on at our staff conference this year, they all went in unison. Not just the early adopters. It's all about leadership. We've got to raise leaders, both growth group leaders and ministry team leaders. And my point in that, five years. Five years of banging the drum. But now, they're all getting it. See? So all of them in all these different M's are now going, looking down and going, leaders, how can we move each of them up? Leaders up. Oh, I've got team leaders. How do I get high-level leaders? MTS, right? And I'm, so one of the other things to say quickly is, you're trying to get your leader, all your leaders, to go from being in the ministry at the coalface buried under all this workload through to being on it where you're actually, you know, the classic business guy, not in but on, overseeing and working at what's going on. And then what's happening for me is personal confession. I'm trying to expand the MTS work, but it's bearing me because I'm supposed to be across all of this. So I've got the same challenge that I've always had for the last 20 years in ministry, trying to work out how do I create teams, systems, to expand this work. Never changes. You're just trying to do yourself out of a job, keep getting to the next level, train others, build teams. Make sense? Yeah. Can I maybe ask last one more question? Um, how, like, kind of relates back to the question I had before about family and teams. If there's a risk of family of not having direction, the risk of teams would be that it's so task-oriented that you forget that yep. you're actually in community. And you've spoken before about the need to be pastoral as we've been doing things. What kind of safe checks have you got that you don't become so task oriented that you just just grind these people up in the machine? Yeah, well, I think the first thing to say is um, the, the problem with a day like today when you do draw diagrams like this and you talk like that is it can become across like industrial machinery, right? The first thing to recognise is I would say is this actually whole thing is pastoral. This is actually all just people talking to people. Now, I've done it by diagram, so you, hopefully you can make sense of it, but. What you want to understand is it actually is just relational people, right? This is all phone calls, chats, except for naughty of these who do Facebook, anyway. Right. But they still think that's relational. Anyway, so, you know, um, you, you just see what I'm saying? Like, it, it's actually relational. So I don't want you to give the sense of that. I'm just, no, I'm no, lifting no. the bottom. I'm just asking what we do to make sure that we don't do yeah. it. Because you obviously have some mechanism for remembering that it's relational. Well, I think it just comes back to just reminding people that it, it's all we're all shepherds by in our hearts. Yeah. Even though at one level you've got to operate as kind of ranches, yeah. trying to get up higher. But, and I think what happens is, 
it's uh, partly his personality. Yeah. Obviously, some of our team leaders when they're swamped do tend towards more task orientation. Yeah. But increasingly, particularly in my view, teams deal with a lot, meetings deal with a lot of it. Because rather than just the roster going out by an email and you're, and you're just getting it, you put people in a room and they're relational. And most of our people have the wherewithal to know that you need to, you just be relational people. And they chat, they ask, how's family? How's, how's Billy going at school? Yeah. So, I, and I th- so I think that's, that's the case. And what's happened, I, happened actually is, as we've got more resources in the system, lot, lots of our teams actually become more relational because they're not as stressed as they were before. So they start doing coffees, just doing all that kind of just relational glue stuff that's part of being community. So that helps us too because the pressures... It is fascinating that as, the, as you go out of the, the massive stress of rosters that say on staff, as they get healthy teams, they go, whoa, I might just get them all together. Because everyone's taking initiative. Yeah, they're taking initiative. And so suddenly the team, the team leaders at a higher level are going, I might just have, them, have barbecue. And we'll just thank the Lord and... It is quite fascinating that the actual relation, relational things actually get going more and more. Yeah. Which is kind of counterintuitive, but that's what actually happens. Yeah. Well, look, I'm happy to hang, and, um, and Dan is too, because he's in my car. Um, <laughs> I won't have that, but um, we have to hang for questions. My, my, great, my heart here is that you have enough time to wrestle with what we've been saying to try and put in action. So my, my great fear for the evangelical world is we, we've been saying we need to do this, but we're, we're really trying to work it. We've struggled to know how to do it, how to make it happen. And my heart is, you increasingly we get better at making it happen. So you guys are then saying, yeah, right, we've got a great idea, do this. And so we increasingly are learning from you. And so that's, that's my heart. Um, so that more and more of the saints are caught up with the, its responsibility to serve, but also the joy of service. Right? Because Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And so as we call people into ministry, we're actually enabling them to be like Jesus and experience the joy of giving. giving, giving living a life that's a self-sacrificial life. And I'm sure as we enter glory, no one will have regretted their time in serving Christ's people. Have a pray. Father, we thank you so much for the chance to wrestle with these things. We thank you for the privilege um, of capturing us up into it. And I pray, thank you for all these churches that are represented here, for my brothers and sisters as they wrestle with these, with these things. And I pray for all of us that we would go back and, um, and sort of carve out the time to think about how do we make kind of the, the next step things happen in, in wherever we're at in the way we can uh, influence things. So that um, in the years ahead we would see more and more people serving and using their gifts to build the kingdom. So that um, the mission of the church uh, increasingly is done people are rescued um, from hell and are taken to sort of to safe haven to where they will enter glory and um, and be forever praising the Lord Jesus and we ask these things in Jesus name amen